0: Land light,
1: Radio land light, Radio I Energy No filter, Oh yeah
0: Alright folks we're back here. I'm with the uh, director of wildlife conservation for the Department of Fish and Game, Eddie Grasser. How you doing? Fine, how you doing? Pretty good. We're in your office here at the I love coming in the I did one with Doug Vincent Lang a few months ago and uh so many animals in here it's pretty awesome when you walk in it's different than like dnr or commerce we actually
1: have a trophy room
0: you guys have a lot going on (laughs) and it's not just uh state employees coming here i mean a lot of members of the public come here right for permits and uh, oh yeah
1: all kinds of people come here for all kinds of different things what's
0: that thing in the back it's like there's a gate what did it say there was a sign bear what's that it was like a bear sheep
1: ceiling oh a bear ceiling yeah what's that what's that about well, if you shoot a brown bear or a grizzly bear you have to have it sealed. So you have to bring it into the Department of Fishing Game they measure it and take some other samples, like a uh, one of the smaller teeth out of the skull for examination and, and uh and they put a tag on it and that's your seal. Do
0: so you have to bring the whole bear?
1: Yep. Not the whole bear, just the hide and skull. Oh
0: okay. So just okay. So that's anywhere in Alaska where you shoot a bear, you gotta bring it here.
1: Uh well no, there's sealing stations throughout the state. So they have Fairbanks and Fairbanks, Matsu I think they even you can even have a bear sealed in places like Tok.
0: Wow! Um, so are those state impl- state people do that?
1: Yeah, department department fishing game people.
0: So I was reading your your bio, and you you have a long history. You you were born in the territory of Alaska.
1: That that is correct. I was born in 1953.
0: You look a little bit younger than that. I wouldn't have, wouldn't have guess that. <laughs> you, you you were saying before we did the podcast, you were comparing your uh, beard color with Rick Rick Green here, but. You said you didn't start going gray until what? You were fifty-five. Not that. See, I got this gray in my beard already, and I'm thirty-four, so it's not looking good. But you, you during um, your bio, and you, you've done a lot with Game Issues as a pretty young age. Uh,
1: yeah, I got involved in Game Issues uh, because I was in the guiding business, and uh, after Anxa passed, and, and had a section in it called D two, which eventually became a Nilca.
0: That's yeah, like a is like a Native Claim Settlement Act.
1: Correct. And and uh, I found out that my guide area in the Wrangell Mountains was going to be a, nu- a new park, which I wouldn't be able to hunt in anymore. What so, were you
0: what were you guiding? What kind of anim-
1: animals? Uh, mostly doll sheep in, in that area.
0: So angst affected that? No, not,
1: gu- uh, well, the passage of ansa included a section called D2, and that's where the fight started uh, over how Alaska was going to be apportioned between public lands, state lands, public lands being federal lands, mm-hmm. uh, native corporation lands, et cetera, and uh, the, it just so happened that they were proposing the Wrangell Mountains to be a park. So along with a lot of other Alaskans, I went to D.C. to lobby against that because that was my livelihood.
0: You were dealing with um, Alaskans or out of, uh, lower 48 folks or both? Congress, lots of no, uh, on the guiding?
1: Oh, out of state.
0: Yeah, so how old were you when you went to Congress?
1: Uh, I think I was like twenty
0: three. Wow. So there was a group of Alaskans that went there.
1: Right. Lots of Alaskans went there.
0: What was the uh what was the outcome?
1: Uh well we we got a little bit of stuff done, but mostly we lost. So
0: is that when you became involved with uh, I read you were involved with the Safari Club and some other Alaska hunting? Uh,
1: well at that time I, I was a president of the Mountain Valley Sportsman. Mm-hmm. And I went to a meeting in Fairbanks with a handful, and I mean a handful of other guys uh, for the Alaska Fish and Wildlife Federation meeting, annual meeting. And um, this was at the time when Somerville, was, Ron Somerville was, getting, was heavily involved in D.C. on the whole Anoka issue. And uh, he lost his job at Fish and Game when Sheffield became governor. And with him and a bunch of other guys, we created uh, a new name, basically, for the Alaska Fish and Wildlife Federation, which was the Alaska Outdoor Council. So I was the very last president of the old Alaska Fish and Wildlife Federation and the very first president of the Alaska Outdoor Council. Yeah, I've heard
0: a lot about the Outdoor Council. That's a pretty active group. Yes, it is. Um, so, when, when you were, I met, I, so when you were growing up, you were hunting from a young age? Is that how you got into it?
1: Went on my first uh, caribou hunt in 1959.
0: So you were, what, six years old? Yeah. Wow. That must have been great, like with your with your and dad, I guess, or
1: with my dad, and my grandfather, and and we had clients with us. Uh, back in those days, everything was done by horseback.
0: And that was in the, the the valley, or where'd you where'd you grow up?
1: I grew up in Palmer, but we hunted in the Nelchina Basin.
0: So, once you were involved with the outdoor council, um, you stayed involved with these issues for, I guess, less thirty or forty years. Um, when did you, you just became the director of the wildlife conservation, that was right after the governor was elected, last governor, Dunleavy, was elected, right? That's correct. So what, what, what's, what's your role here, and talk a bit about your role here, and then talk a little bit about kind of game management in Alaska, and then the the country as well.
1: Uh, well, my role here is to uh, do research and, and uh, put put data together for the Board of Games so they can do their job as far as allocating resources. And our job is to make sure that the resources is managed in such a way that it's uh, at a fairly good sustained le- level for harvest. I know a lot of people don't like that, but that, that I mean basically hunters pay for conservation and so our our main constituency and our, our jobs and livelihoods depend on hunters and fishermen. so the
0: the board of game is appointed by the governor. That's correct. And then the commissioner is also appointed by the governor what what's the like how does the role how does the board of game and the commissioner and you how do you guys all interact with e- with each other
1: i work for the commissioner and uh and i interact with the board of game quite a bit since it's involved in game management and allocation
0: so what what uh i guess there's moose and bear and caribou I mean, what what are all the different kinds of animals people are people are hunting in alaska
1: well you know the big the for most alaskans the big thing is a moose moose hunting the, along with, and maybe right close to that is caribou hunting. Um, but there's all kinds of species in Alaska. There's muskox, there's doll sheep, mountain goat, black blacktail deer. The sheep are the
0: hard, I have some friends that are, that are guides and they do these sheep hunts, it's like, it's crazy. It's a like lot of exercise to get those things and sometimes they fall and you gotta go find them. That seems like the hard one, the hardest one to go hunt.
1: I'd say mountain goats are harder than sheep, in my experience.
0: So you have to, you, you, you're, you're tracking them. And then when they're
1: white, they show up really good on the back, on the dark background. So you kind of spot with a spotting scope and binoculars and, and uh, if you have a good spotting scope, you can tell how big a sheep is from quite a distance. So,
0: so on a lot of these hunts, how, you know, how I know some of the guys I go, they, they walk out miles and then they get it and they, they haul it out. So it's quite, quite an endeavor sometimes for the, the sheep or the goats, right? It can be. So I was um, talking to a friend a while back from the Hunters Association. The I'm sorry, the guy, the Guiding, Alaska Professional Hunters Association. Yeah, and they they do a bunch of gu- guiding, and they were talking about a program called the Governor's Tag, right? And and that's administered. That's part related to fishing game, right? Can you talk a little bit about
1: that? Yeah, the Governor's Tag was originally uh, put into law through legislation that was um, promoted by Senator Con Bundy.
0: Oh I know I know Khan yeah. yeah
1: so Khan Khan originated the concept or didn't originate it, it was going on in other states he copied that into the law in Alaska but in 2014 and 2015 we made some significant changes to that law which I pretty much led the fight on in fact it's kind of interesting most of the time I was battling my own hunting community um, on on the issue because they they didn't support it the the hunters didn't no why not? A lot of hunters didn't support it because they felt like they were like on a tote sheep tag. Mm-hmm. If we put one of those out as a governor's tag on the auction block or raffled it off, that means they wasn't in the pool for them to get oh, a chance at <laughs>
0: one, one less for them. One less for them. But but a lot of this money, uh, people people buy, buy in the raffle or is it a raffle or an auction? Either one.
1: You can do either one so under lot, the law.
0: So a lot of that money goes. A majority of that money goes to the to the
1: state, right, for conservation. Seventy percent goes to the state. Wow. And, and under Khan's original legislation, only 10% went to the state. So nobody was actually doing it. It wasn't worth their while. Mm-hmm. So that was one of the major changes we made was we changed it from um ninety ten to 70-30. 70% to the state, 30% to the organization that raffled or auctioned it off.
0: So what does one of these, I mean, kind of on average, go for?
1: On average, it probably goes around f- probably, I'm going to guess, $10,000 for some species. The Trigach Doll Sheep Tag, Governor's Tag, has gone for as high as two hundred thousand on the auction block. Wow, two hundred!
0: So, are these people who are wanting wanting to do it, but also, I mean, wanting, wanting to support conservation? Is it kind of a mix of both, or
1: mix of both?
0: So, this is a uh, is it a, a, an event or is it at a banquet? Like, how, how do they do it exactly? Well, yeah,
1: like the Wild Sheep Banquet here in in Alaska at the Donina Center, they auction off several tags.
0: Sorry, I was just uh, taking a look at some notes here. Um, so speaking of sheep, I want, one thing I want to ask you is a few months ago, or maybe not quite two months ago, we wrote an article. This is kind of a national or a federal issue. Uh, it was a federal ticket, but there was some, speaking of sheep, some, some women were on this glacier uh, in Wrangell, and they had these like pet goats, and, and they were domestic. I don't know. I've never really heard of that before. I guess it's a thing, according to. Yeah, they're called pet goats. Yeah, so, so I, I didn't know this and I actually called Rick and I and I I said I heard this woman got a ticket from from a park ranger about a goat and I didn't realize people had pet goats but I guess people used to hunt some people hunt with them cuz they they're very sure-footed they can carry 50 or 60 pounds, but they were on the glacier and and the one goat was wearing like a jacket it's kind of kind of weird but the the ranger gave her a, a ticket uh for you know pet goats and, and and on federal federal land and there was some issue with maybe some kind of disease um, so I guess, according to Rick, I read it. There's a st- in the Fish and Game website. There was a, what's it called? Uh, some strange name, some strange disease. You don't you don't about
1: M O V. Yeah. So yeah, the the technical name is quite long.
0: Yeah, it's like some kind of pneumonia. But anyway, so what's the deal with that? And and I mean, how many people? Is this an issue? Is this like a? Because I was reading in Yukon, they banned them all together to go out in the wilderness. But I mean, how many people have these pet goats? And then is it is it a problem with them getting other? wildlife, uh, sick?
1: Um, well, the record shows like in the other states, in the Western states where they have MOV, it's been indicated in the die off of some fairly substantial populations of bighorn sheep. And we're, um, we're trying to keep track of the issue here in Alaska. We're, we're really concerned about a uh, disease coming in and wiping out our sheep population. A lot of people don't know this, but 25% of the wild sheep in North America reside in Alaska that's one quarter of all the wild sheep in 25 in North wow America. yeah so if we had a major die-off here it'd be a it would be a substantial loss and It's a huge i mean for the for the hunting guides i mean i know to, to come up
0: here from lower 40 you have, you have to to hunt sheep you have to have a guide right that's, that's correct that's correct so earlier you said that um the hunters pay for conservation how do, how do you what do you mean by that because it kind of is counterintuitive i mean hunters are killing the animals but you said they're paying for conservation, how how does that work?
1: Um, Well, years ago, we had a guy named Teddy Roosevelt become president, and that was the start of what was called, they laid the groundwork for what's become known as the North American model for wildlife conservation. And one of the main premises of that model is that it's a user-pay system. In the height of the the Great Depression in 1937, a bunch of sportsmen went to Washington, D.C. and convinced Congress to pass a tax on them on, on sporting goods, rifles, ammunition, archery equipment, et cetera, to help pay for conservation. And, and it was the hunting community that actually went to DC and, and more or less demanded that the Congress do that. So they were they knew they were taxing themselves, but they were willing to do that to pay for conservation. Uh, conversely, so the way, the way the deal works is there's a thing called the Pittman-Robertson Fund or the Wildlife Restoration Act. And under the system, it's a three-to-one split. So for every dollar that we raise in license and tag sales from residents and non-residents here in the state of Alaska, we can use that to match PR dollars on a three-to-one basis. So if we give a, a dollar, they give three dollars to make four. Or if they if we give ten thousand, they give thirty thousand, and that makes forty uh, for a forty-thousand-dollar project. So if there wasn't
0: any kind of fund or process set up to to manage and conserve, I mean, it would just be be free for all, and I mean, all the animals would probably just get hunted. Is that kind of how it would
1: work? If there was no rules, that would probably be how it worked. But um, even if you if you banned hunting, animal populations would still suffer because the greatest the greatest threat to wildlife isn't hunting; it's it's human populations and and the use the use of their habitat for things like home building.
0: So, what is um, you know we're pretty unique. I mean, a big part of Alaska is you know, hunting and fishing for Alaskans and for for visitors. What uh, what do we do differently in Alaska compared to, you know, Texas or other other states where hunt, hunting is also, a, a, you know, Wyoming, New Mexico, where hunting's a big thing?
1: Um, we don't really do a lot different than the western states. One of the big differences between us and Texas is we have mostly public land to hunt on, and theirs is almost all private land. So when there's
0: private land, is this, does the state or the government still have, have some kind of role there? Or yeah, it,
1: under under U.S. law... Uh, all wildlife populations belong to the state. So they belong, even though they exist on private lands in Texas, they still belong to the state of Texas. So the landowner can't just say, well, we're going to count these, these deer because they're on our land. They still have to have a tag and a, a license from the state of Texas to do that, even on their own land. So, so some, I mean, some
0: animals, a moose, for example, as far
1: as I understand, it's a lot easier
0: to get a ton of moose than a bear, right? I mean, there's, and there's sheep. Some have tags, and some are some just a lot easier to just get a. Get well, a license. Can,
1: there's a lot of moose hunts in the state of Alaska where what's called over-the-counter harvest tickets are available. They don't cost anything for residents, so you can go into any fishing game department or Cabela's, Bass Pro, Sportsman's Warehouse, and they have a, a. Those are called vendors, and and they have a license books there that you can buy a license from them, or come downstairs here to our information office and buy a hunting license, and pick up all the tags you you want. I think. The only tags that I'm aware of in Alaska for residents are muskox and grizzly bear. So the, Everything else in the state you can hunt for free. You just have to have a license and a tag.
0: So does it ever, I think I've heard in the past it's, it's some area, maybe it's by, by game unit, but sometimes it's maybe harder to hunt a moose in a certain area than another area?
1: Yeah, terrain has a lot to do with you know, hunter success. Heavily forested areas are a lot harder to hunt than, than open areas where you can see things. So how many
0: folks in Fish and Game, I mean, in the, in the game part, I mean, there's people, I guess, monitoring and, and watching, and is it a yearly thing where you say how many tags a, we're going to give out and, you know, where's a good area to hunt, where's not a good area to hunt? The populations are affected by certain things. Is it It's active yearly?
1: Yeah, yeah. that's an ongoing process. It's a yearly process. We do what's called SNI, or survey and in, in inventory um, research. That research gives us a basis for determining how many moose are available in a specific area. And then we figure out what the harvestable surplus of that group of moose is. And that's how many moose, that's what we report to the board of game for them to make an allocative decision. So what's the most hunted animal in Alaska? Is it moose, I'm guessing? Moose. Moose is the most popular hunting,
0: hunted animal in Alaska. Now what's, what's next? Maybe like car, uh, caribou? Probably or caribou. So in any given year, how many, how many hunters are Alaskan and then how many hunters are from, from out of state?
1: Uh, we're getting up to around ninety to a hundred thousand Alaskan hunters, and there's I think there's I'd have to look it up, but I think there's like maybe less than a third of that are non-resident hunters.
0: So there's the there's the kind of subsistence people, like somebody who lives here who goes and hunts a moose or a, a caribou to eat, and then there's the kind of game trophy type hunters for maybe lower forty-eight, and they hire a guide. Um, I know on the fishing side there's been some. They call them the fish wars, I guess. Or there's like the subsist, you know, the commercial versus the sport. Does that exist in the game side as well? I don't really hear hear much about that. Is that uh, uh, you were talking are, earlier about the the tags? The, they didn't want to lose. Right. There
1: are some people that would like to get rid of non-resident hunters because they're so successful. But m- one of the main reasons they're so successful is they actually hire people that know what they're doing, um, and a lot of residents do too. But they don't have the investment in in, in having a successful hunt that a guided hunter would have.
0: You can just go again if you if you live here. You can just go next year. A
1: guided, a professional hunter, a guide spends a lot of time in the field, you know, doing scouting and things like that. So they know the lay of the land. They know where things are at. So when you show up, you don't have to spend two or three days trying to figure things out. Do the uh,
0: the guides in Alaska? Do do they get certified or are they licensed through the Fish and Game? There's a
1: very extensive licensing program to become a guide. So so, so, me, I just can't say I'm going to
0: become a, a guide. No, you can't. T- take, t- charge somebody some money to <laughs> take them around.
1: Nope. That's the, you have to become a uh, an assistant guide or an apprentice guide, and you have to do that for so many years. You have to have hunted in Alaska for at least five years. And there's new requirements that I'm not really up on. I think you have to actually work in camp for a year or two before you can become an assistant guide even.
0: So for folks coming from lower 40, from out of state, do they have to have a, a guide for... All the different hunts, or can they, like for moose, or can they go hunt a moose by but themselves? They can go hunt
1: a moose by themselves.
0: But but all the other bear and sheep and the other kind of...
1: The only three species that are guide required are brown grizzly bear, doll sheep, and mountain goat. Everything else is open to the public to hunt, residents and non-residents.
0: You, um might be a dumb question, but no, nobody hunts polar bear. I mean, they kill polar bears, but nobody hunts them,
1: right? Uh, Native Alaskans could hunt them. Nobody else can. I was kind of fortunate, because I was old enough, to go polar bear hunting in, in the last days or the last few years of of the uh, legal polar bear hunting in the state of Alaska.
0: Wow, when, when, was, when did that change to just subsistence like, or for uh, Native the, Alaskans? The last
1: year we could hunt, and anybody could hunt polar bears, whether they're from Alaska or out of state, was 1972, spring of 1972. After the, Then the Marine Mammal Protection Act passed, and that was the end of hunting polar bears, seals, walrus, the whole nine yards. Wow, so
0: did, did, you, did you get one?
1: Uh, well, I was guiding, so I got several for my clients.
0: Oh my gosh, that must have been just...
1: And I got one for myself too. <laughs> but you had to draw a permit, and I lucked out in 72 and drew a permit. Yeah, so, so
0: how does that work um, on some of the tags? I guess they have, they have drawings, right? Or you, you have to enter, or maybe not the tags, but to, to hunt certain areas. I know there's drawings or raffles, right?
1: Right, there's drawings, and those are coming up. Uh, I think from the first of November until the middle of December, it's open. You can apply for permits. Uh, usual cost for most things is five dollars a permit, and uh, you can, uh, in some cases, you can apply for multiple permits to increase your chances for a specific hunt.
0: So this is this is for a, a specific animal type of animal or a specific area to hunt.
1: No animals. You can you can put in for different moose hunts. They're all on permit basis. Mm-hmm. Some caribou hunts are on permit basis. All the doll sheep in Chugach State Park are on a permit drawing system.
0: I, I was I was told I told Commissioner Lang, Vincent Lang this I was in the Chugach one time I was just on like a hike with a buddy an overnight hike and we were um, coming down from kind of the ramp area by Ship Creek, Ship Lake and uh, I said oh my god there's all these sheep it was like, like ten of them you know and I got really close to one of them and I was like oh my gosh look okay, maybe I'll maybe I'll go past I was like ten feet away from it it's kind of staring at me I was kind of shocked it wouldn't didn't run away. And then I took another step, and man, that that fucker was gone so quick.
1: I mean, it was just incredible. <laughs> next thing I know, it was gone. Yeah, they, they, mostly sheep try to get away from people by crawling up into the rocks. Yeah,
0: we were kind of in a flat kind of grass. It was just, it was, I was so close to it, I couldn't believe it. I. Couldn't uh, look into pretty,
1: the un- pretty unusual for sheep to be in that kind of terrain. That's not saying they don't ever get in that kind of terrain, but usually it's because they're traversing a valley from one side to the other. So the
0: the now it's kind of the I know my buddy Mel he's a hunting guide he just went to Moose Camp, uh, out um, where's that area the i trying to think of the area where where his, his old lodge was but we uh, talking about Mel Gillis Mel Gillis yeah it
1: was on the Sandy River on Sandy, the wildlife, yeah so.
0: so he was going out there but so so there's I mean there's all all these different animals have seasons right I mean you can't
1: right you have to hunt during the season and you have to follow the
0: bag limits so what are the season what are the different seasons and then What's a what's a bag limit? What does that, ref- what does M- that mean? most
1: species in Alaska the season opens uh, August tenth and runs through September twenty. Other species like brown bears opening up on Kodiak and just opened on the uh, Alaska Peninsula just a minute a few days ago. Um, bag limits are how many of a species you can uh, harvest. Most species in Alaska and most places in Alaska you can only take one moose or one caribou or one bear. There are places though, like in the Northwest Arctic, where you can take up to five caribou a day. Yeah, there's
0: also the, uh, I know some f- friends of mine have gone to ADAC. And it's, is it kind of a free-for-all there, or how does that work? That's a, a ca- tough hunt. bunch of caribou there, right, that there's they put there years there's ago?
1: Some, there's some transplanted caribou there, and because of the conditions on the island are so good or so f- favorable to their growth and, and reproduction, they've uh, uh, evolved into some fairly large animals. A caribou on an ADAC island is quite a bit bigger than a caribou on the North Slope.
0: And they are they are, I mean natural there they were brought there during the I guess the military when there was right, the military they were, brought, but,
1: they, were tr- they were brought there just like blacktails are not native to Kodiak Island they were, they were put there in the 1930s
0: I did a podcast with uh, Frank Murkowski Governor Frank Murkowski a while back and he was telling me about a guy who used to work for him told me ask him about these cows on this island by Kodiak and I said that's Cherkov Island yeah I said what are you talking about and he said you should ask him about that so I asked him about that and apparently some some farmer person <clears throat> had an idea to to you know bring these aberdeen big cows to this island and um raise them but i guess they didn't realize there was nowhere to put a boat or like there's no docking area no there's not so so, so these things like multiplied and i guess frank frank was saying that they wanted to go and kill him but he didn't want to do that because he said it was unfair and they said they sent some they were kind of curious what was going on with these cows so they sent some coast guard cadets or something they said go go ahead and take a look and get, get back to me so i guess they dropped these kids off and they said, they got on the radio and they said, they're circling us and they're staring at us and we're very scared. Please come get us, come pick us up. Yeah, you know, wild wild cattle can be a bit dangerous. But so there's all these, I mean, there's all these cattle on this Cherkov Island. They just, they're still there, I guess, right? Is that is that how it's?
1: Um, I'd have to double check, but I think they actually went in there and extirpated those cattle some time ago.
0: So I mean, like nowadays, things are so much more regulated. You probably couldn't do something like that today, could you?
1: No. I mean, then we have the same problem in the Susitna Basin. You know, people, we didn't have, we didn't used to have northern pike in the Susitna Basin, and now we do because people wanted to fish for them, so they illegally brought them in and dropped them in the water. And and people are always trying to do things like that, adopt an animal or whatever you want to call it. So, mm-hmm. But it's, it's illegal in Alaska for an individual to pick up a wild animal. So and, and
0: keep it. So right now, you said we're kind of
1: in the in the hunting season time. Uh, I guess the moose is over, right? Or... Most, yeah, most seasons are over with now. Sheep season's over, uh, mountain goats. There's still some archery mountain goat hunts in, in some places, but mostly that's over. Deer season on Kodiak in the southeast uh, Alaska is open right now. Um, bear season's opening up uh, here and there around the state. Um, so it's a pretty,
0: you know, for a calendar year, it's a pretty lim- sh- short number or small number of months when the actual hunting is going on.
1: Right, that's one of the arguments we always make about people that claim that they're not getting a fair chance to uh, enjoy wildlife uh, the way they would like because hun- of hunting, but hunters are the only group of people that are restricted to a small window of opportunity. Everybody else can hunt, I mean, everybody else can go view animals 24 7 365 days a year everywhere in the state, and there's actually literally millions of acres that were open to hunting when I was a boy that are no longer open to hunting because they're now a park or something. How,
0: how much uh, pressure or... Involvement from, from these lower 48 groups do you deal with, or do, does Alaska deal with for saying we shouldn't hunt or stop hunting or, you know, some of these environmental activist groups come up here and try to...
1: It used to be a lot worse than it is now. About the only group that bothers us too much right now is the Center for Biological Diversity, which really isn't any kind of a conservation group. It's a bunch of well-educated lawyers that figured out they could rake money out of, away from the governor government <laughs> with these... Uh, with these public affairs or public interest lawsuits, I
0: think, for from my perspective, for for Alaskans who've, who've lived here, uh, even if they maybe don't hunt or don't really like hunting, I mean, most people it seems like understand hunting, and there there there's very few people I meet here that are against hunting. It's it's almost
1: actually the truth, Jeff, is that very few Americans are against hunting. In the latest five year survey, every every five years, uh, Fish and Wildlife Service does a survey. And one of the questions they ask is people's attitudes towards hunting. And it's as high as it's ever been. And so 78% of the American public support hunting, according to the last survey.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I rarely meet people who, I mean, sometimes you, my, my sister is like kind of a militant vegan, you
1: know. Right. <laughs> but I mean, there are that, people that don't hunt, you know, but they don't, they don't, uh, they're not against other people hunting, especially if it's for food.
0: So you've been here, what, almost coming, on, coming up to a year? Uh, what's it? I mean, nine months. So what's, what's it been, what's it been like so far? And and what are your plans for, I mean, next year and subsequent years?
1: Um, so far it's been a fairly steep learning experience, but I'm getting the hang of it. And, uh, I think I've, uh, um, brought some, some assets to the job that, uh, other people would not have been able to bring to the job as far as like our budget process, um, one of my plans for the future, my plans for the future are to retire again here as soon as I can. <laughs> were you, were
0: you retired when you took the job? Yeah. So you kind of, you re- re- reactivated yourself. Uh, yeah. <laughs> were you, how did it, did somebody ask you, were you approached or how, how, did, how did you get the, the position?
1: Um, kind of a combination of thinking about, I thought about it and, and asked and also they were looking for somebody because they couldn't find anybody in the department that wanted to step up. That's one of the things we need to fix, in my opinion, is that we've got some really good people working here. Like, almost more of these folks actually hunt than people realize and fish. So they're dedicated to the whole thing. But because of the way um, employment rules work, if you take this job, you're you're subject to, uh, you know, if you if you bat your eyes wrong, eyelids wrong, you're probably gonna get fired and. Because
0: you're, you're a political appointee. And you're, political and appointee,
1: so I serve at the pleasure of the commissioner and the governor, so they, I'm, not, I'm an, what's called an exempt employee. And we don't have anybody that's close enough to retirement age that wants to take this job that's, you know, that's qualified within the department because if they got crosswise with the governor or the commissioner, they could lose their job without any recourse, and then their whole retirement would be you know kind of up in the air at that point unless they could get rehired somewhere. Maybe you've got to take somebody under your, under your wing, huh? I've been kind of talking to folks that are, you know, more or less middle to upper management here in the department, trying to figure out a way we can create a, a bench, like in a you know basketball team mm-hmm. bench or second string or whatever you want to call it, that can jump up and take these positions in the future. Yeah, so the I, ma- I think that'd be a very important thing to accomplish.
0: So the majority, I mean, the vast majority of people working here at Fishing Game are career, not, not they're not not exempt. They're just career, they're career employees,
1: cr- career employees. That's correct.
0: The the I guess the folks that are appointed are you, the commissioner, people like Rick here. Hi Rick. Um, the your Ben Mulligan, he's a deputy commissioner too, right? Yeah,
1: he's he's exempt he's an exempt employee also. So
0: there's only a handful of folks that are that are appointed.
1: Right. And most of the work's done by career career biologists and and researchers.
0: Do you know how many people work at Fish and Game or no?
1: I think it's about sixteen hundred.
0: Wow. That's a lot.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, anyways, it's um, it's been incredible talking to you. I've learned a lot. I like I, I like I said, I don't hunt, so it's something I want to do. Actually, a friend of mine just called me and, uh, and invited me on a caribou hunt. So I think I'm going to go do that here in the next few. Don't weeks. Don't forget to buy your license. I'll, I'll get the license. I I, I promise. I'd be
1: actually, you could help out wildlife conservation whether you hunt or not by buying a license every year. Oh, really? Yeah, because all that money goes to match that PR money. So on a three to one basis, we can get if you buy your Forty-five dollar hunting license. That money gets matched with with the PR money, so that's at one hundred thirty-five. So that's that turns out to be 180 dollars that we get for every towards, person that buys a license towards conservation. Well, towards, I'll, def- I'll definitely get my license because it's. So people th- ask, you know, what they can do to support conservation. I always tell them, you can buy a license. Doesn't doesn't mean you have to go hunting, but you can always buy a license.
0: Well, it's a it's a great point. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely buy my license. The last thing I need is me getting cut without. Hunting without a license—that'd be—that'd be bad. For and me. there's
1: good news—you can walk right downstairs and buy a license. Well, I'll be—I'll be doing that, <laughs> Eddie. <laughs> well,
0: thanks—thanks thanks for talking with me and doing doing the podcast. I, I learned a lot, and uh, I'm trying to learn more about the the fishing game issues. So I appreciate you sitting down with me.
1: Oh, you're welcome, Jeff.
0: Um, folks, and if you have an idea for a podcast or want to do a podcast with me, uh, get a hold of me and stay tuned for the next one.